welcome to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong. I'm Julio. And I'm Alex. Here on the show, we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. For the first half of each episode, Contrarians Corner, we trash the fresh red tomatoes and praise the rotten green splotches, making our case any way we can. The aptly titled Real Talk serves as the second half of each episode. This is where we discuss our true feelings on the movie we're covering. For more information on our podcast and to browse past episodes, you can head over to our website, wearethecontrarians.com. From there, you can also access our patron and merchandise, because capitalism. If you enjoy our attempts at comedic film discussions, we encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you use. If you'd like to reach out to us directly, that's what social media is for. You can find us on most platforms as at Contrarian Prime. You can also see what we look like if you go to youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, and you can contact us by email at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com. I think that covers it. Then it's time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Friday the 13th. 2009 edition does this movie have like a, a special name other than like a, a catchy i don't know what do you call friday 13 2009 that's too long of a name to remake and for uh purposes of the second half of this podcast they were very uh at first reluctant to use that word remake and we'll get to exactly why basically for legal reasons they pretended like it was a sequel until something in court got dismissed and then they're like ah it's a remake gotcha so uh <laughs> it's just friday the 13th and then if you want you can just do in parentheses 2009 and yes we are here today to discuss it uh just after unbeknownst to me the 15th anniversary of its release i remember seeing this in the theater at the denton cinemark i worked at my thoughts coming out of the theater we'll get to a bit later. I had a great poster. Welcome to Crystal Lake with Jason, the mask lit by uh, Moonlight. It has some ties to the original. You know, Sean Cunningham's a producer on this, as is fucking Michael Bay. Um, but um, Marcus Nispel returning to the Contrarians with his very short filmography, very limited filmography. Uh, he returns once again, of course, his directorial debut being the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which Hula and I were both uh, fans of. So we'll see if that holds true. And of course, we talk about it in that episode, but just to set the table for Mr. Nispel, a very, very accomplished music video director uh, back when those were a thing. I mean, Curtis Mayfield, LL Cool J, Mariah Carey. Uh, we got Faith No More, No Doubt, the B-52s, Billy Joel, Gloria Estefan, who uh, Bette Midler he worked with, Elton John, the Scorpions, the Fugees, the Spice Girls, Bush, and of course, Aaron Yu, uh, who plays Chewie in this movie. So I, I think he <laughs> he can be held in the same regard. I and thought then, at first that you were talking about the soundtrack. You were listing like the tracks on the soundtrack. I was like, wait a second, what? I watched the wrong fucking movie. <laughs> Billy Joel, when? But fortunately, uh, we're not alone because I don't think Julio and I would last very long at Camp Crystal Lake. We fortunately have someone else coming along with us, another camper uh, who hopefully can hold the flashlight steady as we uh, traverse this um, rocky, to say the very least, film. Uh, Julio, who's tagging along with us? Perhaps the the only person that could do justice to to this enterprise uh, alex i know you as a wrestling fan and as a friday the 13th fan and uh 
this is kind of like your mirror image because Stu from the Sewer Order is also a wrestling fan and perhaps even a bigger fan of Friday 13th than you are, Alex. I, I guess oh, we'll, we'll figure that out uh, in real talk. But uh, as of right now, I mean, all we can do is just welcome him. Welcome, Stu. Here you are. Here I am. Thank you guys so much for having me back on. I really appreciate it. I am uh, nowhere near as big of a wrestling fan as Alex. Uh, I like wrestling a great deal. I watch wrestling all the time. But as I was going through the Your Name episode and Alex talks about uh, he soothes himself by watching 70s Japanese wrestling with the <laughs> Japanese commentary track. I'm not there. I'm not nearly I'm not nearly that well versed. So he's definitely the bigger wrestling fan. I I try to be a very big Friday the 13th fan. I have so many articles over on the website where I've written about Friday the 13th ad nauseum. I have my 3,500 word manifesto on the multiple Jasons theory. It's one of my favorite things I've ever written. We'll save the manifesto, the, the unifying <laughs> SWO theory for Friday the 13th. We'll save that for real talk because I think that that's, that's something that needs to be discussed seriously. Uh, but I was going to ask you, like, Ballpark, do you know how many Friday the 13th articles you've written on your on your website? That are specifically about the movie franchise, at least, I want to say at least four, but I have every single actual Friday the 13th on the calendar. I do an article called 13th of Friday, where I just <laughs> basically do horror talk in general. It's not always about Jason and his franchise, but it's always about horror. That's already more than... Uh than I do <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> Jason Voorhees. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Alex, I know that you do. It's not like you put like pen to paper uh, when it comes to this franchise, but, but you have the video game. I think you both you, video games, both, both video games. <laughs> and, and you go through all of them during October. Do you do that? Uh, Stu? You know what? Usually in October, I rewatch the Halloween movies. The Friday the 13th movies are my comfort movie franchise. Whenever I just want to watch something that I know I'll be happy with and I don't want to think too hard about, it's uh, Friday the 13th Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 6. And, you know, we're going to talk arguably the greatest Friday the 13th movie today. So maybe this one gets thrown in, too. Oh, yeah. These are year-round movies, Julio. So they, they'll sometimes... The, the reason I rewatched them this past October was there was a Friday the 13th in October. So we marathoned, uh, I think five of them on that night. Uh, but no, yeah, these are, these are year round movies. Halloween. I also usually leave um, for the month of October, but uh, these are universal. Saw Freddie versus Jason opening night in the theater in San Marcos, Texas, man. I've been there. I've been in the lurches with this shit. Freddie versus Jason. When that came out in theaters, that was like, that was the horror family avengers infinity war that was what <laughs> yes. we were waiting for i remember how huge and how excited the theater was whenever i went to see that it was like we're gonna see freddy fight jason this is amazing <laughs> yeah it was like a, a party atmosphere and then also the marketing for that movie was brilliant uh that they had the official weigh-in and stare down in las vegas with michael buffer as the ring announcer introducing both of them uh used to be better <laughs> <laughs> But speaking of Freddy versus Jason, this honestly would have been a better segue. Uh, we have the same screenwriters here, Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, the pair that wrote Freddy versus Jason Return to Pen This. Unfortunately for them, it didn't have monetarily or critically um, the same response. Now, now I'm not here to tell you that Freddy versus Jason was met with reviews like The Godfather Part 2, but <laughs> it, it, it did a little bit better in terms of... Uh, 
people being like, oh, yeah, this is what if this is what you want, this is what you want. And that movie also made a, a substantial brick of money. A uh, hundred million dollars is nothing to shake a stick at as 2009's Friday the 13th made. Uh, but coming in with a 25 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, it is uh, was not well received. Julio, what uh, what were critics saying about this? All right. Bunch of uh, rotten quotes, a lot of green splotches. We're going to start with Ali Gray from theshiznit.co.uk. It's been a while since we've quoted the Shiznit. I thought they were it gone. Is, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they, maybe they are, actually, because this is, you know, all the way back. Ali says, Friday the 13th is essentially critic-proof. It's been cynically designed from the ground up as a fun but forgettable slasher flick with a one-week expiration date. Here we are, 15 years later. <laughs> I don't think it expired. I think it's it's alive and well. It's, it's, it's on HBO Max. All of them are, except for, of course, for um, X and Goes to Hell. Why? Why is that? It's studio different They're studios? owned by different studios. Yeah. yeah. That's famously after um, Takes Manhattan, Paramount was like, all right, fuck this. We're not getting back the amount of money we thought we were. So they sold the rights to Jason, but they kept the Friday the 13th name. So the Stu, was it New Line that pushed those out? Yeah. Yeah. It was New Line that did Goes to Hell and X. Yep. And it's weird. Like they had the rights to, like you said, some things, but not others. The movies couldn't be called Friday the 13th, but they had the rights to you know, Camp Crystal Lake and Jason, so... Just not Voorhees? It's Jason Smith? Yeah, Julio, <laughs> you're you're already seeing here, you're in for... You're dealing with two um, scholars on the subject, so you're going to learn a lot about the franchise today. Uh, yeah, I'm that uh, Ariana Grande meme, where she's just sitting in the corner, like, just like <laughs> with a frozen smile. <laughs> uh well, this might as well be the place to ask. Uh, how do you guys watch this? I, as I just said, HBO Max this was my go-to, and yes, they're all of them. Like the movie ended, it was like you may also like, and just like a whole lineup of Friday Thirteenths. Uh, I, I watched it on Max because I was working on my computer uh, at the at the time, but I do have the uh, Scream Factory box set that came out a few years ago that has the uh, the Blu-ray for this movie in there, and it's the only one that wasn't like a new version of the movie it was basically i think just the fucking surplus of blu-rays they hadn't sold back in 2009 <laughs> when this actually came out because uh, the box art or not the box art but the disc art is different than everything else that means nothing to a lot of people but to me it made me laugh Stu, how about you i watched it on my buddy's plex server he got all the jasons for me because i demanded he get them so they're on there i just popped in there because i knew it was the fastest easiest place to find it there you go Comfort. Comfort for comfort food. Uh, all right. We're going to move on to David Edelstein from New York Magazine slash Vulture, who says, you really have to screw it up to dishonor the memory of a movie as shitty as the original Friday the 13th. Head hey, shoot now. roll. <laughs> if this guy already didn't like, didn't think highly of the original Friday the 13th, was he really in a position to judge a movie that simply takes that original and makes it better? Yeah, this movie takes the first four Friday the 13th and it just rolls them into one. It cuts all the fat out of the franchise. It knows the first four movies were basically one continuous storyline. And it's like, here, here's here's four movies worth of Jason in one movie. You don't have to worry about that. I don't, they're not shitty movies. Ah, I take great umbrage at everything that man said. The classics. <laughs> Alex, on your, on your ranking of Friday the 13th, I might have asked you this at some point because it's, it's really, I, I find it... I'm curious about it. Like, where do you put the original, the one that started it all? I know it's not your favorite. Oh, but... no. Yeah, it's probably 
it'd probably be in the middle because I like two, three, four more than the original. And um, I might like Jason Lives more than the original. Yeah, it would probably be in the middle. All right. Still not shitty. You don't agree with David either. So No, there's <laughs> I only think like two of the Friday the 13th movies are actively bad. Which ones are they? I'll have to hang around to the second half. <laughs> All right, next, Brian Jurgens from camplaw.org says, A boring retread that downgrades one of our great masked men to being a hillbilly with mummy issues and no sense for decorating. <laughs> and if I wanted that, I would rent Nell. Ooh. Oh, my God. Cold <laughs> for- <laughs> that took a turn there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> a hillbilly with mommy issues. Didn't he watch Friday the 13th Part 2? That's exactly what Jason was. I don't like this. He beat me to my joke that I was going to make. We're, we're going <laughs> to Stu and I are going to be in competition for uh, the mo- who can make the most references in this. Okay, so Friday, Friday versus Jason. Doesn't he kind of? Don't they give him a backstory or, or I guess expand on his backstory? Uh, does he have mummy no. issues? No, it's just the water, right? And that one, he's they just yeah, they just gave yeah. him a fear of water for some reason in Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, he doesn't have a fear of water in this one. That's an upgrade. Signs came out the year before, and they're like, you know, <laughs> we got it. We know what can kill him. <laughs> We're going to close with Maitland McDonough from Miss Flickchick, who says, call this go around Friday the umpteenth and be done with it. Uh, they were, right? Like, that was it. This was it for, for the franchise? 15 years later, they haven't even tried? Basically, the video game was the big thing for fans when that came out. Like, that was... The closest to like a release of something Friday the Thirteenth we had gotten in a long time. Man, you you guys, I get to say this now, Alex. You guys, uh, and by that I mean Friday Thirteen fans. Uh, you, in a way, were more powerful than than Star Wars fans because they complain about the last movies and that franchise is still going. But enough Friday the Thirteenth fans didn't like the remake, and that's it. That stopped the train. I tip my hat to all of you. <laughs> Aren't we getting a TV show, though, Alex? Is it A24 produced, or is that just a rumor that never came to fruition? Oh, God. Yeah, that's That's on the horizon. There was, like, the poster uh, that came out for it, or, you know, what do you call those now? Because they're just digital renderings. Uh, A poster, to me, is a physical piece of paper. But anyway... I, if I remember reading correctly, I think I had like a rage stroke and stopped, but it, <laughs> it, it was like, it's a prequel. And I'm like, I know I what happens. <laughs> he drowns. <laughs> okay, but he drowns as a child, right? And then we don't see him again in the movies until he's an adult. So there's a solid, what, 20 years that they can explore? Uh, if you want to go there, then you could, the only thing that could be, that could uh, take up that period of time would be between the first movie and the second. Cause yeah, I think like 15 or 18 years go by, but if there's one thing that I want, and this will lead to this, we'll go deeper into this discussion as the episode goes along. It's uh, an explained and artsy Jason, like a 24 would give me. That's what I really want. I don't just want the dumb fun that I've come to love <laughs> since I was a child. Those were the quotes. So let's go to Contrarian's corner. This girl, she cut that lady's head off with a machete. It gets weirder. Sure it does. Her son, Jason, he came back. All righty. We start on June 13th of 1980, and we basically start at the end of the first movie. 
So, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about the discrepancy between remake or sequel when we get to uh, real talk. But we open with a young Jason who sees his mother get beheaded by a counselor as he was trying to escape the murder spree that Mrs. Voorhees went on. They're our friends at Wikipedia. On Friday, June 13th of 1980, a young Jason Voorhees watches his mother, Pamela, be beheaded by a camp counselor who was trying to escape Mrs. Voorhees' uh, killing spree around Camp Crystal Lake. Almost 30 years later, five friends, Wade, Richie, his girlfriend, Amanda, Mike, and his girlfriend, Whitney, arrive for a camping trip at Crystal Lake, where they hope to find a crop of marijuana growing in the woods, as teens do. That night, an adult Jason kills everyone except for Whitney, whom he captures as she resembles his mother at a young age. Uh, now We don't know that last part. It cuts to Black no. Alex. It looked like she was done. The folks here at Wikipedia explained something that the movie doesn't bother to that leads one to be like, why the fuck did he keep this girl alive? But uh, <laughs> I think you can tell, but we'll get there. <laughs> the opening here is awesome. And every time I watch this, I'm like, hell yeah. You know, we get the opening credits, but the title doesn't hit the screen until literally 23 minutes into the movie. We have like this short film that kicks us off uh, with, um, I always forget his name. He plays Jonah on Superstore, but he gets it bad. He gets a machete oh, in the head uh, here at the beginning. Feldman. It's uh, Ben Feldman. Ben I Feldman. Thank you. He's in Superstore. See, I know him from Mad Men. He's a uh, Ginsburg. Okay. In Mad Men. He's a, uh, he's a uh, lovable weirdo there. And then I, I guess he's kind of a, just a regular guy in Superstore, right? Isn't he like the main guy? Yeah, but he is uh, the, the lead male role in that. He's the Jim Halpert. Yeah. He is yeah, the yeah. Jim Halpert. Yes. So basically, the, I guess the, the point I'm getting at is like, you don't want to see Ginsburg or the guy from Superstore get an axe to the face the way that he does in this movie or a machete <laughs> or whatever he gets. Machete. Uh, Jonathan Sadowski plays Wade. Uh, He, of course, of Live Free or Die Hard, The Goods, and Chernobyl Diaries fame. Uh, He's a a bit of a nerd here, but he does rock out to um, Sister Christian, which I'd forgot. That's where, you know, the majority of the $19 million of the budget went was to pay for the rights to that song. Um, All right, Stu, you're the guest, so we'll begin here. Jason protecting a, a crop of marijuana. Jason laying booby traps around the land. This is uh, this is a new Jason for a new generation, to say the least. Yeah, you get a Jason that charges and runs at people here, and it's much more terrifying than the stoic just kind of walk slowly after you and then magically teleport in front of you, Jason. This is Jason no longer has to cheat. He's going to run at you. He's going to charge <laughs> at you. He's going to lay a bear trap down to catch you. This is a much improved Jason. There's something to actually fear here other than the movie cheating to make him look more intimidating than he is. I I have a big gap in my Friday 13th mythology. You know, it's like I've seen the first one and then I don't think that picked up again until which one's the one that we did, Alex, where he goes to New York? Is it seven or eight? Jason takes a hand. Oh, I thought you were asking the title. I was like, you you almost had it there just by saying the plot. Uh, part eight. It was the last Paramount one. Okay, so that's like you know a solid six movies or so that I that I missed. But from what I gather, he didn't become supernatural until he comes back to life with that lightning bolt, right? So the first few movies, he's just like a regular guy, right? Well, no, he's he's a bit deformed and like he's a monster. That, that would be the way to he's portrayed. But yeah, exactly right. Like 
he in the second one he's an angry hillbilly with a pitchfork and the third one's when he gets the hockey mask and he kind of jogs in that one but definitely not what we have here um he's not sprinting at you yeah he escapes death in um two and three pretty substantially and then in four of course Corey feldman just takes him to the woodshed and uh and then five of course isn't even jason so I think you're on the right train of thought. Uh, Stu, would you agree with that? That at the beginning of Jason Lives, when the lightning reinvigorates him, that's when he becomes like the, the zombie Jason that we're familiar with? Oh, yeah. Uh, supernatural Jason is from Jason Lives. And even he seems surprised by it in Jason Lives because he grabs <laughs> a guy by the arm and throws him. And he, he inadvertently rips the guy's whole arm off. And there's a scene where he looks at him. And you can tell like Jason, as much as Jason thinks, is like, oh, shit, I'm awesome now. <laughs> He's uh, Toby Maguire flexing in front of the mirror. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Well, that, that see because that's that's one of the reasons why I found this so uh, refreshing because the bulk of my Jason Voorhees experience is supernatural Jason. So the only mm. Jason that I've seen without superpowers is the one from the Kevin Bacon movie from the first one. And uh, you know you don't get it, it's not even him. I guess actually it's his mom then. So so this was my first complete experience with a Jason that is just. A regular dude that is just very dangerous. And so is what you were saying. Very protective of his marijuana. <laughs> well, his entire <laughs> compound. I mean, I don't think he's just guarding the marijuana. He's guarding his property. And this is just something I think relatable. Damn it. He, he's It's his land. And he, you know, these kids trespass all over the place. So I'm not saying it's justified, but I understand it. Uh, and it was cool, like, to see him not just be... You know, there's some forethought put there. It's like it's somebody that has something that he cares about, and he's actually put in a, a system in place to protect it. So it makes a lot more sense than just like the the monster that kind of like wanders around with a machete and somehow gets everybody. So this was cool. Like it's, I was wondering if that was something that I was I just had the benefit of not, you know, having seen regular guy Jason in the first five movies or whatever you know but uh but whatever the case i i just i like it you know it's like when he ran i was like oh my god he ran that's amazing <laughs> he's one of us he's just like me we do get mike and whitney coming across his cabin and it's not specifically called out but Stu, did you take it they find that severed head in the wall was that supposed to be his mom's head do you think uh, an homage to of course the end of two I, I couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be Pamela's head or just some unlucky person. I assumed it was Pamela. I never thought it could have been anybody else because, you know, you're thinking back to Friday the 13th part two. So you just assume like who else's head is Jason keeping? Well, I mean, how many people have already wandered into the, the Voorhees household? He just had to I put mean, them obviously down. a few. There's someone at least came to bring him all those candles. He's got just that huge <laughs> mantle of candles. I have to I have to close by asking Alex, did you, you know, going back to Ben Feldman, did you ever expect to see him having sex? The guy from Superstore, the guy from Mad Men <laughs> having sex? Well, Superstore, honestly, is a bit more risque than it appears on the surface. So I've seen kind of some tantalization from him. But this is definitely explicit. He, he's taking a girl uh, in the old country way and uh, <laughs> just... I was bummed the first time I saw this movie. I was like, I was trying to figure out what they were doing. Um, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> well, I, I'm talking about the movie, the filmmakers. Uh, Jason Goes to Hell has an awesome sequence where two people are having sex in a tent. And this, it's a, it's like a street pole. It's a 
like uh, speed limit sign, the pole that goes in the ground for that, comes through the tent and just like bisects this woman. And I, the first time I saw, it, I was like, "Oh, are they going to do that?" Because they do dust off here. Uh, Amanda, the way she goes, is just terrible. Where the sleeping bag, where he hangs it above the the fire they have going, and she just roasts inside of it, and she hits the ground, and smoke comes out of her mouth. Uh, I can I can fuck with that. That's pretty badass. She gets mandied. No, I think I'm gonna. Uh, oh no! Don't, don't just give do me that again. What? Okay, her. We'll do it at the same time. Hang on. I'm hang almost there. Shit! I what? heard something. Stop it. Uh, six weeks later, Trent, his girlfriend Jenna, and friends Chelsea, Bree, Chewy, Nolan, and Lawrence arrive at Trent's summer cabin on the shore of Crystal Lake. Meanwhile, Whitney's brother Clay Miller arrives to the lake to search for her despite his local sheriff's plea to look elsewhere. Clay visits Trent's cabin, and Jenna agrees to help him search for Whitney. Trent here, played by Travis Van Winkle, who I will always remember his character's name from accepted. It was Hoyt Ambrose. And I don't even look that shit up. I know that's what it was. Cause that, <laughs> that is like the all time douchebag name. I, I couldn't tell you what anyone else's character's name is in that movie. And I like that movie, but Hoyt Ambrose, that just ridiculous. And you can see here, he was in the, the first transformers, right? Yes. Um, is he, is he a douchebag there? Oh yeah. He's, he was the douchebag of the moment. And that's, you know, and he plays it well to his credit, but man, oh nine. So I was still in college. I remember guys just like this, like good looking guys with that weird, poofy blonde hair that just thought like you know, specifically white guys like that, that thought they could get away with anything they fucking wanted to. Um, and so, I mean, spoiler alert, but you do get the satisfaction of seeing Trent uh, meet his maker here brutally. Uh, I mean, at one point the, in this movie that's the whole reason for his existence in this movie right like that's like even though i'm not the the horror fan that you guys are like i can i can recognize the tropes and i can i can appreciate when the tropes are executed well and i know that you know we're watching a, a slasher movie so of course we introduce the cast knowing that the audience knows that most of these people are going to die and so you have to have a nice mix of like the 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 guys that you don't really care too much about because those are they're going to be the first to go. And then the people that are lovable because those are the ones that you're going to be worried about. And then, of course, at least one super asshole that you're going to be waiting, you know, for, for them to get theirs. And and that's that's Trent's role here. He's not likable for a second. And you just, you know, you're watching slasher movies. So, you know, eventually retribution is coming. So that was, that was one of the biggest uh, things. Now, Alex, he may be Hoyt, what's his name? But... As much as I liked him and the performance, he is not part of the big guns that get deployed when we meet this this new group of people. You get the two Ps. You get Palodeki and Panabaker. Are you guys familiar with uh, Supernatural? Because I'm not. This, I know Jerry Palodeki is from Supernatural, but... Yeah, that's what I know is he's from that. And I remember some of my friends like acting like this was a big deal at the time when it came out because... Is that a, is it a sci-fi show? No, it was on the the CW. If you're if that's what you're asking, unless you're asking, is it science fiction? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's what I was asking. Was okay. is it science fiction? Uh, I remember watching one episode or two because I had a buddy who was super into it. But I remember that was kind of like uh, the draw for people and like the um, you know the convention community uh, that are into these kind of things was him being in it. And then Danielle Panabaker. Uh, has a face that I know, and I know her from something, but I don't know what. Uh, Sky High? 
I was going to say the Flash TV show. And the Flash TV show. Yeah, she's. Uh, oh, no, you're both wrong. It was uh, she's uh, Kevin Costner's daughter and Mr. Brooks. Man. OK, well, that's that's <laughs> that's a trilogy right there. <laughs> Uh, I've always known her from Sky High. Like I, I don't know if that was her first movie, but that was the first movie that I saw where I, you know, I could point out to her. And it's like that's the girl from Sky High, and uh, yeah, when she showed up in the Flash, she's a, uh, you know, she's a regular there. She was. The show's over. Uh, a big fan, and of course, I saw her coming to this movie, kind of like with the Ben Feldman thing. I'm like, okay, this is Lasher. Is she going to play against type? Because usually I associate her with, uh, you know, just kind of like the, the. The goody two shoe kind of character, or is she going to be uh, one of those characters I'm gonna be waiting for, you know, to get killed? She she plays for type, not against type. She she doubles down on her image, which I was perfectly fine with. You know, you need to root for some people. Uh, I don't know what Paladeki is like in Supernatural, but I know what uh, Padabaker is like in Sky High and uh, in the Flash. And I was like, I'm down with this girl. I I, I really hope she makes it to the end. She almost does. <laughs> Julio, can I? make you conflicted with casting for a brief moment sure uh scout taylor compton auditioned for the role of jenna but it, it went to panna baker oh uh, okay so hang on G- give me the timeline here this is scout taylor compton post halloween but before halloween 2 i believe so yeah uh, it's definitely hell- post the first one i don't remember when two came out yeah, the first one was 07, and then, uh, so it would have been the same year, because the zombie second one came out, again, <laughs> we always joke about this, they gave him an August release date for a movie called Halloween. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so that that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. Okay, I'm not conflicted, um, Alex, I thought you were going to tell me that Kate Winslet was up for the role at some point. <laughs> no, this is fine, I mean, Scout Taylor Compton, I, I think that her, her fate was sealed the moment that she signed up for that first Rob Zombie Halloween. So that's that's for better or for worse. I mean, that's you can't have her. She, you can't double dip in franchises. You know, you stick with one. She's she's a Halloween character now. She can't jump ship to, to the Friday 13th series. Fair enough. Fair enough. But also on the topic of actors we're familiar with, Ryan Hansen of Veronica Mars fame is in here as well. Dick Casablancas. Do you know uh, the, the Veronica Mars lore, Stu? I do not. No, I never watched Veronica Mars. My uh, my Kristen Bell knowledge almost starts and ends with the Good Place. <laughs> I mean that's that's a good that's a good show. But I think that once you're done with Buffy on your on your website, maybe you need Veronica Mars as as a I wouldn't even say a palate okay. cleanser, but maybe like an alternate. It's it's a good show, and Ryan Hansen plays the exact same character he plays in this movie. <laughs> yep, it's funny how that works sometimes. So we do get immediate conflict and tension with Trent and Clay as he's like we mentioned looking for his sister they they run into each other at this gas station when they're stocking up on supplies for partying and debauchery and whatnot and um Trent's just an asshole to him and asks are we good bro and Clay says I'm not your bro and somewhere Bill Goldberg was watching this and he sat on that line for years and years and years (laughs) as he very infamously told Matt Riddle backstage at SummerSlam I'm not your bro uh, so we understand that there's just the alpha energy between the two, but then of course, Panabaker comes into it because obviously 
Padalecki's good-looking cat, and he's a lot nicer and warmer than her boyfriend, Trent, so she warms up to him pretty quick. The sparks fly right away. <laughs> sparks fly. And here in the spell kind of goes back to uh, not an homage, but he, you know, he's structuring things like um, his Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that Clay goes and just asks like a local woman, you know, she's got a really dilapidated yard and trash everywhere and asks, you know, have you seen this woman? And she much like a few of the characters in his Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just she's dead people die around here and you know go away there ain't no monorail and there never was and then slams the door in his face <laughs> all right so you and guys have seen this movie probably like 10 times this is only my second <laughs> time watching it and i mean i remember very little but i did remember that his sister was alive that that was the thing right do you remember if the first time you watch it were you expecting her to still be alive or did you think that he was just kind of a, this this hopeless mission that was just there to to take him into the story, but you didn't really expect him to find his sister alive. Oh, no, it totally threw me. I just assumed Whitney was dead, and we just threw Padalecki into the movie for the much-needed star power of having Sam Winchester. I just thought he was going to be there, and I thought he was going to be the the guy who's eventually going to go mano a mano with Jason, because... I think this is why TV actors have such a hard time breaking into movies is I, unlike you two, I was a big Supernatural fan. I did watch all the seasons. So when I watch this, he's Sam Winchester to me. And I'm just like, yeah, Jason's a hard ass, but we regularly fight demons here, Sam. I think you throw some salt at him or something. You can do it. <laughs> is he, is he? You know, we just said Ryan Hansen is basically they transplanted the Casablanca from Veronica Mars into this movie. Is did they transplant Sam Winchester or is he a somewhat different character here? It's hard to say. I think Padalecki just has this very natural, effortless charm about him. And I think he just kind of carries that through things. So it feels very much like he's playing Sam's personality without Sam's skill set. <laughs> well. Charm can only get you so far in Crystal Lake. So <laughs> I remember seeing it for the first time and then again today upon rewatch thinking, well, I hope she's alive because they give that really brutally depressing backstory about their mom dying and she not being at the funeral. So I was like, God, I I hope this isn't all for naught. <laughs> I hope she gets a chance to go visit her mom's grave. <laughs> Uh, you reminded me just now, Alex, though, that we, we do get that, that conversation, a little bit of exposition with the, the sheriff, I guess. I put two tenured veterans on that case. We did three dozen interviews and ran a countywide search for your sister. But there's no evidence that anything happened to Whitney Miller or any of those other kids in Crystal Lake. There's no car, no witnesses. I this is another trope that I recognize and I embrace when it's done well. This guy, the sheriff, is a good actor. Battle Lake is a good actor. The, the dialogue is, is good, you know. And the, the trope being incompetent police, right? That because if the police were competent in this type of horror movie, then the threat wouldn't be as high because you would have professionals that are armed and ready to put an end to this. But I just love the idea that. They couldn't find Jason, even though he was there. I mean, those teens found him without looking for him. <laughs> All you have to do is just wander into his uh, wheat field, and then you're gonna you're gonna get some Jason in your life. 
Well, it's implied by the old woman that Sam, I just keep calling him Sam. His name's Clay in this movie. I'm always going to call him Sam. It's implied by the lady that he visits that everyone kind of knows Jason. Like they know he's there. They're like, yeah, don't, don't go around here. Don't, don't disturb him. So I just assume the police also know, and they're just like, they don't want to fuck with Jason either. So they're just, they, they're just like, like, yeah, we we don't mess with that guy. He's fine. If those teenagers went and found him, they're dead and Jason can have him. So we're just going to get this guy out of town, too, so he doesn't die. I like that read a lot more. As much as I like mine, that one's even better because it gives the sheriff layers. And and now it makes it more satisfying when he dies later. (laughs) Stu, in a world of Shelley's and um, Reggie the Reckless's, Julius being one of my favorites from Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, Ted. Ted, where's the corkscrew at? You know, these (laughs) immortal, annoying male characters in the franchise history of Friday the 13th. We have Chewie, who just kind of rewrites that entire role here. Aaron Yu, who Julio and I recently discussed, um, he plays Lindsay Lohan's boyfriend in Labor Pains. Julio, do you recall that? Uh, I do now. <laughs> See, I, and I, I hope that I said it when we were talking about Labor Pains. Uh, he's the kid from Disturbia. That's what I remember. In that movie, he is, I mean, that movie's kind of a thriller, and he almost dies at the end. Like, you, they fake you out. You think that he's dead, and then he shows up at the end. And it's like, oh, no, he survived being hit in the head. Uh, so I, I kind of have, he had that same look that he does here and he, that he did in the Lindsay Lohan movie. Look up his IMDb. Because that dude definitely wanted to make a change in his career. And if you look at his IMDb profile picture, he looks like a badass. He doesn't look <laughs> anything like he did in this period of, of, uh, of film history. He's got like a mustache and he's looking at the camera kind of like, you know, from above and the shadows are following his face. It's uh, Jason wouldn't have gotten him <laughs> if he looked like that. <laughs> so, Stu, my question goes back to this Chewy character of... Uh, you know, with the tone of this movie, it could be mistaken or um, thought that there's no way someone this stupid exists in this world. But for me personally, I felt like the Chewy character was just an homage to the the Reggie the Recklesses and the the Shelleys, the the characters, the the doofy slash lovable characters of Friday the Thirteenth Past. What was your read on uh, Chewy? Yeah, absolutely. My problem is here's where I strongly disagree with you guys. And uh, I, I probably disagree with almost everybody who watched this movie. I think Trent is the hero of this movie. I, I, f- I felt nothing but sympathy for Trent in this movie. He invites all his friends to his house. They immediately start breaking his shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny, Stu? I, when that started happening, I remember thinking, somebody will identify with this guy here. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> It probably says a lot more about me than it says about the movie or anything else. But I watched this movie and I was like, I feel bad for Trent. He brings these people into his home. He goes to the the gas station and he just wants to buy his stuff. And Sam Winchester will not get out of his way. Eight foot tall Jared Padalecki will not get out of his way so he can ring up. And he just taps him and says like, hey, you done here? We got to buy some things. And Sam mouths off to him. They go to the lake. Everybody starts breaking his stuff. His one friend starts wanting to jerk off in the middle of the night all over his furniture 
His girlfriend just leaves to go off with Sam Winchester into the woods. Like, come on, this guy gets nothing but crapped on. He finally, he finally is super nice to one of his friends and says like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to let you go down to the lake. Just please don't touch my boat. Guy immediately just drives away on the boat. Everyone takes advantage of poor Trent. The plight of the rich white man. Chewy in particular, Chewy breaks half his stuff. Chewy goes into the 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 shed later on and starts drinking his booze and breaks more of his shit. Chewy expects Trent to drink beer out of Chewy's shoe in something called Shoot the Boot, which is uh, I've played a fair share of drinking games and drank more than enough beer in my lifetime, and I've <laughs> never heard of that game before. It, that felt like a uh, wet hot American summer joke where it's just like this thing that's presented as something everyone knows that no one actually does. Uh, so I, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way, but if I was in Trent's situation here, I know how just easily enraged I get when people touch my shit. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> I, I could, uh, I mean, maybe his demeanor is, is, is earned. He's abrasive. Uh, like I'm not saying the guy's a saint. I, I think that it's, it's all in the, the combination of actors you got it for the cast. Cause I can see that argument too, but I can't get past my allegiance to Danielle Panabaker. And like you said, uh, Paladeki, he's really charming. I, I'm not even, you know, I don't know him from Supernatural, I, but he shows up. I was like, he's a good guy. He's, he's looking for his sister, <laughs> you know, cut him some slack. We forgot to mention, too, that Chewie almost burns the house down by trying to do a flaming shot, which if you have access to the Internet for more than five minutes, you've seen the fails around the world of people that try to do flaming shots. Um, now, one of the folks that uh, Clay asks if he'd seen his sister is this redneck that's trying to sell some weed he found. Looks like he stumbled onto Jason's patch. He's also using a, an industrial like wheat, thre- not a thresher. It's like um, a wood chipper. Uh, and you have to wonder if that's going to come into play at any point in the movie. Uh, <laughs> this redneck, uh, you know, he's just a land worker. He ends up getting killed by Jason. Uh, this is where Jason finds the hockey mask amongst the debris, antiques, whatever you want to call it, that this dude was uh, hoarding. And so now Jason has a hockey mask. Huzzah. Chelsea and Nolan go wakeboarding on the lake where Jason kills Nolan with an arrow and fatally stabs Chelsea with his machete. This is like. You know, there's so much love and discussion and just pollen around it in the air right now of Barbie. And this is like, you know, where's Jason? Because we have Farmer Jason. We have Archer Jason. We have Landowner Jason in this. He he comes in many different uh, wardrobes (laughs) and with many different skills in this. Um, Right. Like, what what do you call? Is that Landowner Jason? The one that has like, it's not it's not bag Jason, right? Like his look for the first, you know, 30 minutes of the movie. I, I wrote it down as Time Crimes, Jason, but that doesn't make sense if you haven't seen the movie Time Crimes. But he has this sort of, you know, what, what is it? Like some sort of cloth wrapped around his... Uh, like his a sack. Head? Yeah, like a yeah, sack. That's, that's what he wears in two. Uh, that, that would be the homage to part two. Okay. Because he doesn't get the hockey mask until part three when the prankster Shelly in his bag of goodies has a hockey mask in it. <laughs> well, and then you have unmasked Jason, and then you have hockey mask Jason, and then yeah, Archer Jason. Axe thrower, Jason. Axe Axe throwing action. Jason has impeccable accuracy in this movie, which I have to be honest about. The the first time I watched this movie, that made me mad. I remember like thinking like, well, Jason's not Hawkeye from the Avengers. (laughs) Why does he have this skill set? But then when I have rewatched the Friday the 13th movies, 
Jason has always had the skill set. In Jason Part 3, when he gets the hockey mask, he harpoons somebody right through the eye from a fair distance away. So Jason has always had the accuracy. So that's on me. I forgot. Jason has always been a marksman, and he carries that skill set along into this movie. It's a he it's it's some real Cadness move there too because he's it's not just a one and done right like he he shoots kills the Casablancas like first victim of this new group and then he's getting ready to shoot at the other girl I mean he was prepared that's he went out saying okay today is Arrow Day <laughs> <laughs> and then oh no and then he pulls a machete out that's right um, which this by the way trusty uh, machete yeah uh, by now we're like at what three pairs of boobs maybe that we've seen in the movie like this movie knows knows its audience and again it just doubles down on the tropes that's literally my note is uh my second note for this entire movie was know your audience there are boobs 10 minutes in (laughs) and 20 minutes in and 30 minutes in In my next life i want to come back as a one of the buttons on the ass pocket of her jean shorts Meanwhile, Clay and Jenna search the old Crystal Lake campgrounds where they see Jason hauling a body into an abandoned camp house. When they see this, if this movie had been made 10 years later, he would have had, you know, a, a Trump 2020 sign in his yard <laughs> with all those lights and shit that he has rigged up. You know, get the fuck off my lawn. He's a uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2018. <laughs> it is. Uh, the only, we made the joke about that movie. The only thing missing is that uh, she should have had Fox News on in her house constantly. Uh, <laughs> Jenna and Clay run back to the cabin to warn the others about Jason. Chewie is killed by Jason in a tool shed near the cabin. A <laughs> fucking vicious. It's ruthless. They just show this whole thing where it's not like a sewing needle. I don't know what it is or a knitting needle rather, but he has this long spike and just slowly shoves it into this dude's throat. And it, it almost borders on unpleasant, I would say. Is this, is this the moment where you're supposed to realize that you actually like the character? You know, you, you thought he was annoying, but then when you see him die in such a gruesome manner, you're like, wait, what is this feeling? <laughs> I remember the first time I saw a final chapter when Ted died, I was like, God, he was so annoying, but now I miss him. And that's uh, very similar here. <laughs> Dude, I was rooting for him. He, I thought that maybe he had a shot with the blonde girl. And uh, even after he burned his mouth, I was like, if he can, if he can come back from this, <laughs> if he can come back and impress her with his uh, chair mending abilities, then maybe this can still this can still work. But Jason had other plans. This happens while Trent and Bree are having sex in a bedroom, and we have uh, yet another pair of breasts. Um, <laughs> dude, dude, here you go, like all in. Is this the most? Gra- you guys are the experts. Is this the most graphic sex scene in the franchise? No, uh, no, goes goes to hell. The the one I mentioned earlier, the actual sex scene when that woman gets bisected is pretty pretty intense. I uh, I often try to write goes to hell out of my head. So <laughs> <laughs> that's very fair. So um, well, in X, the professor gets his nipple twisted with a, yes. a clamp. That's pretty intense. And, but there's no um, nudity in that one. It's it's just him. It's male nipples getting twisted. Yeah. <laughs> There's the one, oh, fuck, I, I can't remember now off the top of my head which one it is. It might be um, four or five. The The thing is, the it was supposed to be Gina Gershon in this role, but the girl they ended up casting, they just thought her breasts were better uh, because that's how they did things like that back in the day. Um, so we're dealing with a franchise that has an 
overwhelming catalog of nudity to pick from, but I think your uh, your question about the most graphic sex scene, it's up there because it's like Inception type shit. She's filming it while we're watching it. I, I, uh, I can guarantee you, not even having seen them, not having seen all the other movies, I, I'm pretty sure that none of them have the line, your tits look stupendous or are stupendous. Well, you, you killed my punchline because I was going to ask Stu if he knew the word because I think this movie people who like it and don't is synonymous with the word stupendous Um, (laughs) (laughs) which i don't know if Stu recalls but two years ago wrestlemania 38 uh it was one of those insane vince mcmahon things where he just learned a word and wanted to insert it into you know copy and so they said wrestlemania is going to be stupendous and they just used the word stupendous in all the marketing (laughs) and like commercials for wrestlemania and just called it stupendous so in my mind i have like this fleeting thought that vince in february of 2022 was flipping the channels and landed on the 2009 (laughs) friday the 13th um the less said about vince right now the better though so moving along (laughs) juliana julie gilly g-u-i-l-l uh what I'm trying to get at is this young lady is I've often said about like um, Tom Hardy or, you know, Finn Balor or these guys that are just ridiculously good looking. Like if I looked like them, I would wear as little clothes as possible. This woman is so gorgeous that I get it. Uh, that yeah. You know, she she deserves to flaunt what she has. Uh, and of course, it's just such white guy shit to say that her tits are stupendous what what a fucking nerd and that she has perfect nipple placement yes jesus great dirty talk but but it's great that she teases him she teases him about it that's what really what really completes the that scene is that when they're done he's like oh that was that was and she goes stupendous he's like oh she understands that it was stupid <laughs> Uh, when we were running down the skins that Jason has in this, we forgot to mention Voyeur Jason because he just kind of watches them <laughs> until they finish here. And then he's like, all right, now back to business. Consider it, Jason. <laughs> uh, Jenna and Clay arrive and Clay calls the police. Jason then disconnects the cabin's electricity. Classic. Uh, Lawrence heads outside to search for Chewy. This is a relatable part. You know, yep. is you got a bro. You got to go after your bro. He's that that character is great. Like they don't call too much attention to him because he's he doesn't really get any big set pieces other than like right here. But I I think that that's the movie kind of subtly letting you know that they they are aware of the tropes that we've been calling out and they're just choosing to just go with them and you know like I said execute them well. But this character is the one that he says it right here as he's about to go rescue his friend or try to rescue his friend. He said you can't put me in a box, right? And he's like he's a black guy. But, you know, when somebody asks him, he says that he's working on his music. I'd like somebody asks him if it's rap and he calls this girl out for assuming that it would be rap. But then he smiles and he's like, it is rap. I was like, oh, <laughs> he's, you know, you can't pin him down. He's a stoner, but he's still smart enough to to keep his wits around him when, when all these things are happening. Like, he's obviously smarter than Chewie, uh, but he's friendly. You know, he cares. He's like probably out of everybody in that cabin. He's the one that cares the most. And uh, he turns out to be the bravest. And honestly, because I've only seen this movie once, I thought that maybe he was going to make it to the end because when he actually fights back and he gets he gets Jason on the leg and he gets to run away and, and he doesn't die instantly when he gets hit by the axe. So I thought maybe somebody was going to rescue him. I mean, it's it was a it was a hell of a sequence here. And then, of course, you know, he doesn't make it. But were you guys bummed? Were you uh, were you suddenly like, oh, I appreciate you now, <laughs> but you're gone? 
He is one of the more entertaining characters. I did. I like the uh, cast iron skillet that he uses as Captain yep. America's shield. That's a good strategy, yeah. although he immediately abandons it. He just, uh, he didn't run in a zigzag. You you got to know you got to run in a zigzag away from people or else they'll get you. Yeah. What's the, what's the equivalent, Alex? Uh, if uh, if Chewie was an homage to like all those guys that you, you were listing, is there somebody like like this kid in the, in the movies? I keep mentioning Ted, but Ted and... Um... I can never remember what uh, Crispin Glover's name is in four. Uh, but Ted and Crispin Glover have like a a bromance in that, and there's got to be other ones too that I'm missing. I mean, all the dudes want to be Julius in uh, Part Eight. They just kind of flock around. <laughs> yeah, him. yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah, because he's the other guy that actually puts up a fight against Jason. It's not an effective fight, but he tries. Fucking. Supernatural gave him more blow for blow action in this than <laughs> Julius was able to. So yeah, he he runs. He should have adopted the uh, Rick Marshall serpentine pattern, but nope. Just get it to axe thrown in his back and then flipped over and impaled on said axe as he cries for help. Jason then goes inside. He kills Bree. Uh, the police officer shows up and knocks on the front door, but is killed by Jason. He gets like a fire poker through the eye. Uh, Trent, Clay, and Jenna escape the cabin. After Trent finds his dad's gun and then shoots like a madman, <laughs> unknowing, yeah, unknowingly shoots uh, Bree's dead body like five times, and then he opens the door and finds it. And in this moment, I think he assumes he killed her, but then he's like, "Ah, oh, Jason got her. Let's yep. go." <laughs> That's what I thought too. As a, a real scumbag, weasel. <laughs> <laughs> but Stu was like, "I oh, know, relatable." <laughs> No, you know what? It never dawned on me that he thought he killed her. I That's one thing I just missed out on. I never realized that he thought he shot her. I just <laughs> thought he found the body and was like, oh, yeah, Jason got her. She was laying on the floor. <laughs> all, all that was missing was him saying, I definitely did not shoot her. <laughs> there is a part in this. I can't remember what scares them, but it's like the payoff that Trent screams like a girl. Uh, you know, really high in falsetto and they try to do this thing to emasculate him that is, you know, kind of funny considering the machismo he's tried to exhibit up until this point in the movie. Uh, but they get separated. He makes his way to the main road out of Crystal Lake where um, like a tow truck stops and it's the old dude uh, that had no legs and Marcus dispels Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, the guy that gropes okay. Jessica Beale, and uh <laughs> He's like, come on now. And then Jason appears, impales Trent on this tow truck, uh, a la Curse of Michael Myers. Where Michael impales Jamie on like that wheat thresher. Yes. And, yeah. And uh, the old dude's just like, fuck this. And just guns <laughs> yeah, it and heads he just out. bails. He still has the corpse in the back of his truck. Yeah, he's heading into town with that corpse attached to the back of his truck. He's got some <laughs> stories to tell. Hey, Jenna, fuck this guy. Let's get out of here. Wait. All right, so now Clay and Jenna are on the run from Jason and they find this like underground system of tunnels, this tube city that Jason has built uh, over, you know, the past 30 years or whatever. He has this whole system. And uh fortunately though, in this underground layer, they come across Whitney. They find his sister is still alive, chained to a wall freezer all three try to escape as jason arrives they uh it looks like they're 
right there. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. And then Jenna gets impaled by Jason's machete. Like the one pure person yep. in the movie doesn't make it. It's uh, it's very sad. And it's not your grandpa's Jason here. Yeah. Yep. It's the one time that uh, this movie goes against the tropes because the, the pure virginal character would make it all the way to the end. That's the, the what we've been trained to expect from Final Girls. And... Uh, she, I did not expect it. I, I, I was not ready for her to die so suddenly. Like, there's even no, you know, it's not like, like, like she was in the middle of a fight against Jason and then she dies. No, it's like she's about to go and then it's just out of nowhere. <laughs> she gets impaled, and, uh, and then that's it. I mean, we don't even get to mourn her. <laughs> it's just like let's run away. It's pretty brutal. Uh, were you again? I'm asking you guys from like you know all those years ago. But do you remember being shocked when she died? I'm always shocked when she dies. Somehow I always forget that she dies there. Cause it's like you, I just, in my head, I always expect that she's going to make it to the end. Or I occasionally think that it's the sister that dies. Mm-hmm. So I'm always surprised whenever it's a uh, uh, Panna Baker that dies. Yeah. I can't remember my emotions watching this the first time, but you know, knowing what I know of the hundreds and hundreds and decades worth of horror movies that I've watched it's. It, same thing as Stu said. It catches me off guard each time because the the saint, you know, she's supposed to make it. If anything, the sister gets it. And then Clay and right. Jenna end up taking a canoe out to the middle of the lake. And then Jason's Bopishly a kid again for some wave their reason. hand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mentioned we get a fist fight here between Jason and Clay. Uh, Jason corners Clay and Whitney in a barn. And Whitney confuses Jason by pretending to be Pamela. Clay and Whitney subdue Jason with a chain, and Whitney stabs Jason in the chest with his machete. Stu, this like 45 seconds of them killing Jason is like a super cut of moments from the franchise because he gets hung like he does in part three. Yep. Uh, when he falls, like the the ceiling falls on top of him, and he bursts up like he does in um, New Beginning. It, it's like they felt here that they hadn't done enough to pay homage to the franchise. So they're like, all right, in this 45 second sequence, we're just going to make a ton of references to it. And if people get it, they do. If not, you know, whatever. Yeah. They spent an hour and a half making their own movie. And this is where they reward the Friday, the 13th faithfuls who've been watching the whole time with, uh, you know, here's more point and whistle at your TV moments. You're going to recognize all this stuff that's happening. We gave you a brand new movie. Now you're getting the homages that you always wanted. It was uh, all Friday 13 fans were like that. Uh, I'm sorry, Alex, got to bring him back up again. Uh, Vince McMahon, the, the meme where he just keeps being more and more shocked. So it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time there was a new reference to a previous death of his in the franchise, you know, Vince McMahon keeps falling further back and back on his chair. Uh, I obviously didn't get any of that. I just thought, man, he's really tough to kill. So, of course, they have to go all out. Just keep going and going. And and it is a, a horror movie trope, right? Like, he never, you know, you never killed a bad guy on the first go. So, of course, he's going to get up and, and all that. Um, I thought it was pretty ingenious that they, you know, because they, they go back to the little medallion, the, the locket with the pictures of, of his mom. They they focus on it a couple times during the movie. And the fact that that's really what's his undoing, right? Like, he's almost winning the fight, but then Whitney uses that that locket to kind of paralyze him. And that's how supernatural gets the upper hand and and so on. And I thought that was great. I didn't need an explanation. I, I get it. Like 
early in the movie, like at the very beginning, uh, Whitney's boyfriend says, hey, this girl looks like you. And I was like, yes, she does. We just did uh, The Black Dahlia not too long ago, and I couldn't get past how little uh, uh, Hilary Swank looked like uh, Mia Kirshner. This is how you do the casting, Alex. <laughs> you get two actresses that actually look alike. So I was ready for that to pay off, and it did in like the best possible way in the climax. And like you said, the movie doesn't spoon feed it to you. It gives you that one line where it's like, hey, you look like this lady. And then the movie just trusts you. It's like, yeah, you're going <laughs> to... They're gonna they're gonna hang on that. They're gonna figure this out. They we don't need to repeat it over and over ad nauseum that she looks like Jason's mom. They're they got it. It's an hour forty. And then Shannon and Swift uh, do exactly the ending of Freddy versus Jason uh, because why fix what's not broken? Where the surviving female, uh, not Monica Kina, but in this situation being uh, the Whitney character, uh, stabs the bad guy in the chest with a machete and tells him to go to hell. Literally what happens in Freddy versus Jason. Like literally that's what happens. <laughs> but she tells Jason, say hi to mommy. Dramatic pause in hell <laughs> and then kills him. But after killing Jason, you know, I, I guess you could say they do some, they attempt a noble act in which they return him to the water from which he came. They dump his body and the hockey mask in there. And, uh, they think they, they've made it. You know, the sun's rising. It's going to be a beautiful day. Uh, but at the last moment of the movie, Jason bursts through the wooden dock and grabs Whitney and possibly pulls her down to hell. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it only could have been better if he grabbed her and took her to space and been uh, Jason X again. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, it It is uh, closing down with those, those tropes again. Like I said, you know, you know that he always comes back. They always... I don't know if every movie in the franchise you guys would, like if every movie in the franchise ends with him coming back after you think that he's been defeated. But in my memory, it feels like that's always what happens, not just in Friday the 13th, but in most horror movies. You know, there's always like that tease of like, ah, come, come every back for one the of them, Every one of them ends somewhat darkly. They don't always end with Jason being there, but they either end with like, oh, Tommy Jarvis is about to become Jason, or oh, Jason springs out from here, or oh, Jason's mom springs out from the lake and grabs somebody. It's it's always something dark, and you know, you can't just have a happy ending in this franchise. So they knew what they were doing. They knew the, they'd read the Cliff's Notes to the other 10 movies. Yeah, I think that they, like we said, they knew their audience, or at least they thought they did. I, I'm honestly surprised that it didn't do better, and I guess you can never tell, right? The, the strong fan base can work against you if if you do too much to change some you of the things. You don't say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, because to somebody that's not attached to the to the original material like I am, this just feels like they did the right thing, right? Like they took a franchise that was pretty old and dated and that if you go back to the if you're not a fan and you go back to those early movies, they feel pretty like meh. You know, you can tell that the budget was really low. The acting is not great. The special effects, are, you know, so they gave, they took a Friday Thirteen basic story, they gave it a fresh coat of paint, and and they just unleashed it into the world. And they're like, here you go. Now you can say you're a Friday Thirteen fan, and you don't have to be embarrassed about it because the movie actually looks good. It has good actors. It's it's shot well. You know, Jason runs. It's not all the same, <laughs> but but overall, this is a movie you can be proud of. You can be like, when somebody asks you why you like the franchise, and you can point at this one, and then you can be like, and then there's the old ones, which, you know, sentimental attachment, but I know that the good one is the 2009 one, but 
man, I mean, not everybody can be the Force Awakens. <laughs> Apparently, sometimes <laughs> people just react negatively to that. They're like, I don't want the fresh coat of paint. I just want the the, the old stuff. I want the, the really bad acting and the the really obvious uh, uh, misogyny and all that stuff, you know? So, obviously, I can't experience this as a Friday the 13th fan. I, I can only experience it as somebody that's familiar with the franchise somewhat. And and as such, like I, I have a blast. I, I think that there was there's a horror movie that I can get behind. <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, this feels like a movie. This is a this doesn't feel like a movie that I have to make excuses for. I'm like, no, it's a horror movie, that's it. Well, that's no, like Alex hinted at when you started talking. Whenever you have a dedicated fan base and you start doing anything slightly different it's the end of the world you can't you can't appease people that have decided what something is you have all these marvel movies that led up to endgame sorry alex and everybody loved them (laughs) and then after endgame everyone decided like well no it sucks now yep it's it's not what we expected for all these years now they're casting new people and it's not we wanted you have star wars which i'm less familiar with but i know that around the turn of the century everyone hated the the prequel trilogy and then 15 years later we got the sequel trilogy and all the new fans hated that too so it's you have fans that have already decided what something is and what they want it to be and whenever you try that new coat of paint it's it's no it's it's everybody thinks like ah that's the worst paint i've ever seen what are you doing to me i like my jason monochromatic <laughs> Julio, I'm done pretending. I'm done. <laughs> I can feel your contempt. <laughs> let's let's go to real talk. <laughs> I need to get a beer and soothe my nerves after all that bullshit I just espoused. So let's uh, let's move it along. <laughs> <laughs>